The following message was preached at Flint Hill Baptist Church. We would love for you to join us on Sundays for life groups and worship, or on Wednesdays for adult Bible study, kids, and youth activities. For more information, visit flinthill.net. Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. Um, if you've been with me for the last several weeks, we've been in a series called Revive Us, O God. That's a beautiful series title. It's a great prayer to pray. Um, we'll see this morning that part of God's revival among His people isn't always um, like we think it will be. In fact, the message that He's about to bring to the church at Smyrna is one that is uh, very sobering. Uh, and it's something that we need to hear today. May the Lord's word come upon us. May the plumb line of his word fall in our hearts personally. And then also here as a church. So Revelation chapter 2. It's just three, a few verses here. Verses 8 through 11. So hear the word of the Lord. The, to the angel of the church. To the messenger of the church. We've looked at that. In Smyrna write these things. These are the words of him who is the first and the last. Who died and came back to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life, and he who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. And you'll notice real quick, this is one of the few churches, this is actually one of two, that is not rebuked by the Lord in this letter. Book of Revelation, when God revealed himself to the Apostle John there on the island of Patmos. And so... In one sense, the church at Smyrna is doing everything right. They're doing everything that God would want them to do. In fact, we know uh, historically the, um, the church at Smyrna, just, just to share with you real quickly here some of its origins. Uh, the scripture doesn't record where it was founded, but most likely through one of Paul's missionary journeys, either him or one of the other converts. It's a smaller place than Ephesus, one of the that we just looked at last week. Um, but we also know that life was difficult and dangerous for the church in Smyrna. Why? Because the city had long been an ally of Rome and was a hotbed for emperor worship. In fact, under the emperor Domitian, it became a capital offense. That means you'd be put to death to refuse to offer the yearly sacrifice to the emperor. Not surprisingly, many Christians faced persecution. The most famous was in the second century, Polycarp, if you remember. In fact, the Septuagint, which is the Greek Old Testament, the use of this name, Smyrna, in the Greek, was used in the Septuagint, the Old Testament, to be translated for the word myrrh. You know that word. It's a spice. It's a substance of, that was used as perfume for the living and the dead. We know that. They would put that on the bodies. Its association with death pictures the suffering church of Smyrna. Again, I will say to you, we talk about my title, Suffering for Our Savior. Smyrna's doing everything right. By God's own assessment of the church in Smyrna, they were doing everything right. They were faithful, 
They were loving him unlike Ephesus. They had not forsaken their first love, but they, had, they were continuing to love the Lord Jesus Christ, even in the midst of great, horrific suffering. I, I, we ought to just stop right there and pause. Suffering may come to the people of God, and you're doing everything right for the Lord. You may be being faithful Honoring the Lord with your life and suffering for His namesake may come unto you or His, or His church. Sometimes we've associated in the United States of America in the 21st century in Western theology that suffering means you're doing something wrong. Now don't get me wrong. I, there's consequences to your actions, so please hear me. There is suffering that you may endure because of your own stupidity. I mean, just to be honest. But it's true, God's people may suffer and be doing everything right. I know we live in a day where you want to be blessed and have all the money you need in your bank account. And you want to walk in that mindset, which I'm with you. God is a God of blessing and He blesses His people for sure. But the church at Smyrna was enduring great hostility for their faithfulness unto the Lord. They were doing everything right. The Lord doesn't rebuke them at all. In fact, He... He, he encourages them and exhorts them. You know, when we think about suffering for our Savior, Dr. Adam Dooley did a whole little devotion type synopsis of the life of Joseph. And y'all remember this in your Old Testament. Joseph had years of heartache and years of suffering, but yet he remained faithful to the Lord. And God was faithful to him, even in prison. Even in his most difficult, darkest days, God was with him. Knowing the Lord personally was more important than serving the Lord powerfully for Joseph. Now, we should take note of that. And don't forget that it was Joseph's pain and, that was instrumental in preserving the nation that would produce the Messiah. The young patriarch's trials were indications of God's presence among them, him, not his absence. Just like the church at Smyrna, they were facing great hostility and persecution. And yet, when the Lord brings a word to him, when the messenger brings that word back to the church at Smyrna, he has nothing but exhortation for the church. There's no rebuke. They're doing everything right. The Lord gives them a, a word about, and I'm going to share with you, it's kind of like the title of Christ. He says, in fact... In your Bible, in the verse 8, he says, These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. This title, the first and last, the dead and came back to life, it's a description of Christ. Of, who, of, who, of What about him? That he is the glorified, exalted Lord Jesus Christ. It's the same vision that he had in chapter 1. It's coming now to the church at Smyrna. He's reminding them of his title, of who it is. The application is clear. Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, is God. Period. He was God in the flesh. He is God now. He's the resurrected. And yes, He died yet rose again. To God be the glory. I can just imagine in this moment that word. Can you imagine? I know sometimes when we read this, it's like we're so far removed. Can you imagine when this word was just shared for the first time at the church at Smyrna? They were already facing great hostility and persecution. And here's the word. It's real short. It's real short. And what does the Lord want to remind His people who are facing such horrific persecution? He said, I am the first and I am the last. 
He said, I am the everlasting God. There is nothing that was preceding me and there's nothing after me. I am all there is. To a church that had lost so much, to a church that was suffering, it was comforting, comforting them to know that the God in whom they have placed their faith is the God who sees all, knows all, above all, in all. He is the Lord God Almighty. Period. And not only that, but He's the God who died and came back to life. Now, we don't have time this morning. We've already talked about the Nicolaitans. Nicolaitans. We talked about some of the erroneous theology that said Jesus didn't really die. Here, Christ's word to his church says, I did die in the flesh. I died on the cross. I died, yet I came back to life. Oh my goodness, can't you imagine the Apostle John in this moment, the words in the church at Smyrna that would have come alongside that word? Y'all know this word in John 11 where Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Some of y'all can quote that with me. He who believes in me, hallelujah, will live even if he dies. Come on. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die to God be the glory. You know why? Because he holds the keys to life and death. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. Y'all know that. He's reminding the church. In the face of horrific persecution, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord, the risen Lord, brings a word to His church of comfort and encouragement and reminds them, yes, you're facing this today, but I have conquered death, hell, and the grave. Keep your eyes fixed on me. The assessment that Christ brings to His church here in Smyrna. Make no mistake. He, he may, here's the words in verse 9. And I love this. It's in every one of the church. Every one of the... Uh, Words to the churches here. And he starts off with the word, I know. I know. I know. I just want to remind us here today, we serve a God that knows everything about us. There's not a single thing you're going to hide from the Lord Jesus Christ today. I'm laughing a little bit. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm afraid. We're, we're sometimes like Adam and Eve. We're going to run. I mean, I mean, really. I mean, what you going to do? You're going to hide behind a bush and go, he ain't going to see me? I mean, it's like that little child. Y'all probably never played hide and seek. I, I won't call out Kara, but you know, any child, right? I mean, it's like if this was in my, in my house and we're playing hide and seek, they're standing right here. Like they're hidden. I mean, I can imagine probably Adam and Eve. And I, I mean, here's the Lord walking amongst them and they're like, he ain't going to see us. Hold still. Hold your breath. It's foolish, isn't it? Oh, Lord, we ain't changed a whole lot today, have we? Let, let me, let, I don't know if this brings encouragement or conviction in your heart. God knows everything about you. The good, the bad, the ugly. He knows it all. And He knows everything about Smyrna. He knows everything about the people of God in this sweet little town, this little place called Smyrna. He knows everything. What, what, what did He say? I know your afflictions or your tribulations. That word literally means pressure. He knows the pressure that you're under. I, can, I, can I just say this to all of us? May, may, may we be encouraged today? Regardless of what you're walking in, sometimes when we face the pressures, whatever it may be, the trials, the difficulties, whatever it may be, we get very isolated and our eyes turn inward. But I, I want to remind you what the Lord Jesus Christ told the church and He tells it to us today. He says, I know, I know, I know. 
Even when we don't know how to pray or how to utter those prayers, God knows what's on our heart. He knows where we are. You can't run away from Him. You can't hide from Him. He knows. To God be the glory. To the church at Smyrna, when they heard those words, I can only imagine in that moment there was great comfort. See, if you're facing great persecution, I, I, you're wanting to know, does he really know what's going on? Because I imagine they had been crying out for deliverance and crying out for peace and crying out for, God, help us here. There's such chaos all around us, people that are attacking. And I mean, the word that came clearly is, I know the pressure you're in. Just to remind you, history reminds us, why were they under such great persecution I've already mentioned this earlier. Smyrna was, uh, was a hotbed for emperor worship. So the Christians in that small little town, they refused to offer those annual sacrifices unto Caesar and worship him. And that refusal to worship him branded them as rebels. And they faced the wrath of the Roman government. Not only that, the second reason, it's real simple to understand. It was much like any Roman towns or villages. Or, they were full of idol worship all over the place. And the Christians there rejected the pagan pantheon of idols. That's a fancy word. There was a whole bunch of them. They rejected it. They would not. In fact, in fact some laughed at them and mocked them because they said they worshipped the one true living God, but they didn't have a statue for him. Y'all with me? They'd say, where is he? Well, he's everywhere. And they would say, well, I guess he's not really there. And he's somewhat invisible. Believe this or not, they became known as atheists. Because they were like, well, where's your God? Here's mine. It's sitting right here on my mantle. Here's my God. Where's yours? And they would say, well, he's invisible. You can't see him. You can. Can't you? Can't you know the Lord? That's what the Bible says. Gnosko, to know him intimately and personally. Absolutely. But it's not with carvings and things and hands made by men. So believe it or not, even in that culture, they were denounced as atheists. They were like, they don't believe in anything. And they're not believing in these idols. And they're rejecting our social uh, uh, class that we're doing. And they became these outsiders. And uh, unfortunately, they got marginalized. And it was easy to not just make fun of them, but to persecute them. And lastly... The church, the Christians there in Smyrna faced blasphemy. We see it here. Slander from those that are Jews, but they're not Jews. In fact, the, he says it's the synagogue of Satan. And in this context, it's no doubt, there were those that, uh, uh, of the Jewish faith. They weren't real Jews. I mean, he says they're not really Jews, but they hated them. They rejected Jesus Christ. They rejected the church. And as much as they hated Christ on earth and wanted Him to be crucified, they wanted this church to be killed. Literally. So what did they do? They mobilized the Roman army. They did all they could, poured their resources to, to literally bring an attack against the church there in Smyrna. They increased hostility against God's people. They slandered them with intensity and severity. You know, I, I say this, man, because God brought a word to the church this morning. He said, I know, I know. I know what you're going through. And I'm with you. Suffering for our Savior. 
You know, I want to talk to you about Polycarp. I don't know if I have time. Probably don't. Polycarp was actually, you know, John, the apostle, mentored him. He was actual, uh, I mean, firsthand. He knew John very well. Might have, and, and, and we don't know. We don't know the messenger that brought this word back to Smyrna originally. It could have been him. I don't know. But Polycarp was, uh, was one of the more famous. I say that famous. He was a leader in the church, and he was blessed with long years. He'd been there a long time. But the intensity of the uh, persecution came by. This is well-documented, by the way. You know, Christianity is one of the most well-documented faiths in the world. Because God's people began to write things down. You can read this about Polycarp. But in the early in the second century, he was, he was persecuted to death, killed. And what happened is they were looking for him because he was a leader. Now, if you're a leader in the church, watch out. Because if they're going to try to kill a church, they're going to come after this leadership. And they did. They tried to find him. And the church kept hiding him from one place to another. And then finally it caught up to him and they found him. Uh, Polycarp at this time is 86 years old. Been serving the Lord all these years. And so they get him together and some of the people there, the Roman folks, these people, they say, they said, look, um, they wanted Polycarp to, to, to swear and to refuse or rebuke or, 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 or the, you know, Christ, to denounce Christ. And they, they literally, I mean, the document says that they pulled him together on their way back to Smyrna to this arena, and they said, hey, look, we'll set you free, basically, if you just reproach Christ. And he said this, Paul, here's his response. He says, 80 and 6 years I have served him, and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? But they pressed him all the more. They said, hey, look, swear by the fortune of seizure, a seizure. He said, uh, he said, since you are so vainly urgent, as thou sayest, I should swear by the fortune of Caesar and pretend not to know who and what I am. This is Polycarp. You want me to pretend? I can, ju can, I, I can just see this. He said, hear me declare with boldness. I am a Christian. With that, they took him into the arena. And you probably know the story. They built a fire, basically, a place, a burial. That's what they did. They burned bodies back in the day. And they took this 86-year-old man who was a Christian leader in the church there in Smyrna. And they basically threatened him with fire which burneth for an hour. See, here, here's what he said. He said, he said we're going we're gonna to set you on fire and kill you. If you don't repent, they wanted him to repent of believing in Jesus. And he said, look, you threaten me with fire that burns for an hour. And after a little is extinguished. But you're ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment of God, which is eternal, reserved for the ungodly. And they killed him. Friend, I, I will tell you, it is an understatement for me to say that the church at Smyrna was severely and greatly persecuted for the name of Jesus. The Lord said, I know what you're going through. And it brought great, great, great comfort. They were, the, he, the description was they were, they were full of poverty. The truth is, 
Now that word poverty describes them as beggars who lived not by their own labor, but by the alms of others. In other words, they were poor. Why? Because they were ostracized. Most of them were servants or slaves. They were destitute. They couldn't own anything. If they had it, it was probably taken from them because of great persecution. But what's interesting, he says, I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. He said, but yet you are rich. Wealthy by all means. I mean, truth is, this church had every reason to give up and to let go and to just turn loose of whatever they believed in Christ. But instead, they remained faithful, faithful, faithful to the Lord. They never left their first love like Ephesus did. Jesus said, you're rich. And what, 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 what did he mean? He said, you know what? You have, you possess what really matters in life. Salvation, forgiveness, grace, holiness, peace, fellowship, personal intimacy with your Lord and your Savior. So the Lord commands them two things real quickly here. He said, don't fear and be faithful. You know, I love that over and over again. I've been told over 365 times, once for every day of the year, Jesus says, the Lord says to his people, do not be afraid. In the face of severe persecution, I can certainly understand. We talked a little bit about this in Life Group this morning. It makes sense why someone would be nervous and afraid to, to, to main, name the name of Jesus Christ in the, na- in, in the face of great persecution. But the Lord came in through this message to the church in Smyrna and says, don't be afraid. I can just only imagine that the words of the Apostle John would have come back to them in John 10. He says, I give eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch you out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me, the Lord said, is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. This is the will of Him who sent me in John 6, that all He has given me, I will never lose. But I'll raise them up on the last day. What words of comfort, no no doubt, resonated with the church when He said, do not fear. And He reminds them to be faithful. Now I will say to you, He says, um, just prior to that in verse 10, And there's grace in here. There's forewarning from the Lord. He says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Now, interesting, he says, I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. There's grace in that. He forewarns them. And there's grace in that. He only allows it for ten days. But persecution, severe, even greater than they had ever experienced, was coming to them. And this word that was brought to them on this day, if you can only imagine as they opened that word, the comfort they would have had, but also the forewarning and, and, and the reaction, the response that could have happened to the church in Smyrna at that point. But the Bible teaches us that they were faithful. They persevered. And let me remind all of us today that our faithfulness, our willingness to persevere is a testimony to our genuineness of our faith in Christ. The scriptures teach that true Christians will persevere to the end. And in the midst of that, there's a promise. Oh my goodness, what a beautiful promise. He says, look, be faithful even to the point of death and I'll give you the crown of life. There is a beautiful promise for all that put their faith in Christ. That crown means your reward, the culmination, the outcome of genuine saving faith is, is, is eternal life. To God be the glory. Now, in this this final word, he said, He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now, you know the Bible teaches us that all are appointed to die and then the judgment. 
Uh, the death that we die in this body doesn't mean anything. In fact, if you're a Christian, it means to be absent from this body is present with the Lord. We know that. We, we, I believe that. I know the Bible teaches that. But he makes a strong statement. In fact, that word not in your English language, I mean, we probably read over that. That's the strongest negative word that the Greek language has to offer. When he penned this word, he said, he who overcomes will not emphatically ever experience the second death. Ever! Because Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. To God be the glory. He has promised eternal life. What great encouragement. What great encouragement to the church there in Smyrna. Boy, it's a strong word today. May the plumb line of God's word just settle in our hearts personally, but in this fellowship today at Flint Hill. There's a couple things in my observation, and real quick, I promise I'm going to end at some point, Bruce, I promise. couple things in my observation of this just a few verses here one is satan targets the church at smyrna why i gotta ask because they were insignificant really probably in the grand scheme of asia minor they were nowhere near the size of ephesus or that city they didn't have the power they didn't have the prestige they didn't have the money in our little eyes they didn't have the influence yet satan targets them why I think it's real clear. Why? Because they were making a difference for the kingdom of God. You know why? Because they did not forsake their first love. They kept on loving the Lord Jesus Christ no matter what. And you know why else? Because they loved people. Even those that were slanderous. Even those that were bringing hostility and persecution. They continued to love them. They continued to preach the gospel and make disciples. That's why. Satan targets them. I couldn't help but to ask this question. I don't know if I should even say this out loud, but I think God wants us to be a church that's on Satan's radar. I don't know if that messes you up or not. I believe God is calling men, women, and boys and girls to preach the gospel today. You know what the world needs to hear? You know, let's break it down. We get so big up here. You know what your neighbor needs to hear is the gospel. You know what your family needs to hear is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Preached out of love, not judgment. Only by the grace of God do I go, oh my goodness, y'all. Be a, be a Christian that Satan's worried about. Be a church that's on Satan's radar. I couldn't help but to think that. Smyrna, insignificant in the world around them. They would have probably looked at them and said, well, they ain't got no money. They, ain't got, they only got a handful of people. What are they doing? Yet Satan was concerned about them because they remained faithful. Oh, let it be said of us that we'll be faithful no matter what. Lord Jesus, let us be faithful. Let the plumb line of God's word fall in our hearts today. If you find yourself not faithful unto the Lord, then today's the brand new day in Jesus' name. Be a Christian that doesn't bow down and worship the idols in the land in which we live. And there are plenty of them today. Idols of immorality, idols of wickedness, idols of complacency and consumerism that drives us to get whatever we want. Idols that make ourselves more than what we should. I'm, on, I'm, on, I'm honestly going to close on this one, I promise. We were at a men's conference a couple weeks ago. I'm going to tell you what, the Lord got hold of our hearts and really touched our hearts in a certain way. And there was a pastor there, Whitson, if I'm saying it right. And I couldn't help but to think, I mean, the, 
The Lord brought an encouraging word, but the people at Smyrna were doing things right, but they were severely persecuted, and Satan had targeted them and was coming against them head on. He made a statement in the men's conference, talking to us men. I'm talking to us, all of us today. He said, if you hadn't met the devil lately, it might be because you're probably heading in the same direction. I will tell you this. Satan's not worried about a church that loses their first love or neglects the preaching of the gospel or is not concerned about the great commission. He's happy for you to just keep doing what you're doing. He's happy when God's people just refuse to come together, gather together to seek the Lord together. He's okay with that. Y'all just. But in the midst of everything in Asia Minor, the church at Smyrna said, no, we're going to remain faithful. We're going to keep on keeping on loving him, loving people, and preaching the gospel and living out the great commission that he gave us so many years before. Father, we come before you right now in the precious name of Jesus Christ. And it's a strong word this morning, one that's heavy on my heart. God, I, I think about the people there and the testimony of the Christians there in Smyrna. And I can't help but to think about Christians today all over this world. I mean, even in the United States of America that are being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And God, if I'm really honest, I have to be honest. And I have to admit and repent of complacency in my own life. God, I have no doubt you've placed us here together, right here, right now. Every person here is here for a reason. God, you have planted us at, at a workplace, at a school, in a community that needs to hear the gospel. Father, I'm just going to ask you right now, Lord, that you would so let your word just come down into our hearts today. I pray, Lord Jesus, God, do a work in us personally, corporately. God, let it be said of the people of God here at Flint Hill that we are a people that are faithful, faithful to our Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what, no matter the cost. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with me, church. We're going to sing a song of response this morning. This is your time just to respond to the Lord. Be it whatever you need to do. If God's calling you to unite with this fellowship, you come. Make that public. If you need to give your life to Christ today, I want to invite you to come. As God so moves on your heart, just worship Him today, church. He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy. Gavin, lead us in this. Let's sing unto the Lord.